On Enmeshed, we discuss crimes and situations that may be disturbing for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Enmeshed, the show that reveals some of the most poisonous people come disguised as family. Enmeshed family members are fused together by unhealthy emotions instead of the strong bonds that signal a well-functioning family. Boundaries are blurred and unhealthy relationship patterns are formed. Hello and welcome to Enmeshed, the podcast that explores family relationships and crime. I'm Amanda. And I'm Pam. And today we are going in a slightly different direction. Normally, our stories involve families that are intertwined in a life of crime, whether it be siblings who commit crimes together or people who kill their own family members. Today, we will be talking about how a family member of a serial killer helped to solve a cold case using genetic genealogy. This is the 1998 murders of 38-year-old Sherry Shearer and her 12-year-old daughter Megan, by the hands of serial killer Robert Eugene Brashers. Because of genetic genealogy sites that allow users to submit their DNA to find long-lost relatives or for personal health reasons, law enforcement has more options than ever in terms of cracking cold cases like this. The case that I automatically attribute to being solved by genetic genealogy is the Golden State Killer, a California serial killer who raped and murdered his way up and down the state between 1974 and 1986. Joseph James D'Angelo was arrested in April of 2018 after submitting DNA from a rape kit to GEDmatch, one of these genetic testing sites similar to 23andMe and Ancestry.com. Amanda and I have both done the genetic testing, and it's absolutely fascinating. As a matter of fact, I was one of the first people in my family to do 23andMe because I did find it fascinating and maybe my DNA could help catch a killer. You never know. So we had family and friends that were very skeptical, thought it was a scam just to get our money, but I did it anyway. And when the results came back, I had a match of a second cousin who we'll just call Ashley M., And I didn't recognize the name, even though she was like 14% my family. So I called my mom and said, hey, who's Ashley M? And she said, oh, that's your cousin's daughter in Montana. And I had gone, you know, grown up with her and, and gone to many functions with her. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. So obviously it worked because they picked out my second cousin in Montana as being my family. And then as we all started actually after I started talking people into taking the testing, um, it matched my daughter, Amanda, 51%, and my son, Austin, at 50%, and so on and so on. And it's just been super interesting as far as um, your ethnic background and health traits, what you carry. It's just, uh, I think, just a fabulous new technology. Yeah, so I actually found out that I'm 11% Jewish from this test, which, I mean, who knew? You get that from your dad's side. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even know. 
So yeah, it's pretty cool because I actually get emails all the time from, I guess, distant family members who want to connect on 23andMe. So it's actually a pretty good way to figure out who's in your family and you can connect with them that way too. Whereas if you didn't do something like this, then you would probably never even know that they existed. So very fancy. Right. I guess, you know, you could find long lost children as well. I hope I don't have, I don't think I have any out there. I don't think so. Nonetheless, it's, it's uh, very positive on many, many levels. So back to the story. Yes. We will definitely cover more about how genetic genealogy works and how it worked specifically in this case, but for now, let's talk about Sherry and Megan Shearer. On the evening of March 28, 1998, father and husband Tony Shearer and his 15-year-old son Stephen walked into their house in Portageville, Missouri to a horrifying sight. Stephen's mother, Sherry, was found bound and gagged face down on the floor, and his little sister, Megan, was found with her hands bound by an extension cord. Megan had clearly been sexually assaulted as her body was posed in a way that suggested the killer wanted to show what he had done. Both Sherry and Megan had been brutally shot to death. It was seven in the evening, and according to Stephen, He had spoken to his mom on the phone just half an hour earlier. How gut-wrenching. The shock continued later into the evening when a woman and her children in Dyersburg, Tennessee, were approached by a man with a gun who demanded she let him into her house. Following a struggle, the man shot her in the arm and swiftly drove off in a van. Thankfully, the woman was not seriously injured and was able to provide a description for police to turn into a composite sketch. Ballistics testing concluded that the same gun used to shoot this woman had also been used to murder Sherry and Megan. Portageville is only 45 minutes north of Dyersburg, so the killer had crossed state lines. So law enforcement knew they had a very bold, armed rapist and murderer on the loose. He had attacked the Shearers in a tight window and shortly afterward tried to force his way into another woman's house in front of her kids, injuring her in the process. Although there were no signs of forced entry or any usable fingerprints from the Shearer crime scene, investigators were able to retrieve a swab of DNA from some residue on Megan's breasts and a hair fiber in her hand. With that second attack on the woman in Tennessee, police now had a sketch, too. While an initial DNA profile was constructed at that time, in 1998 the science was still pretty new. And even though the case was featured on America's Most Wanted, the trail went cold. With advancements in forensics, the DNA was resubmitted in 2006 into CODIS, the Combined DNA Index System that serves as the national DNA database maintained by the FBI. That's when police discovered that the same man who had killed Sherry and Megan had also raped and murdered 28-year-old Genevieve Zitricki in Greenville, South Carolina in 1990. In 2017, so 11 years later, The same DNA was matched to the 1997 rape of a 14-year-old girl in Memphis, Tennessee, 
That victim was also able to provide a composite sketch to the authorities. So we have a serial rapist and murderer haunting the South with two sketches, DNA matches, and ballistics testing. Law enforcement had also been able to speak to the woman who'd been raped in 1997. In a 2018 interview, lead investigator Bud Cooper said of this woman's help, quote, it bridged a gap for us. Now we had live victims talking and able to tell us what he said, what he was doing, what he was thinking, unquote. Still, there were no leads into who this monster may be. Just because they can link DNA that's been collected from victims, if the perpetrator has never had his DNA collected by law enforcement before, then there's nothing to match it to. Until now. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about genetic genealogist C.C. Moore, who is totally my hero, I wish I was that smart, and how Sherry and Megan's killer was found. Are you planning an event with audio and visual needs but are not sure where to start? Waves Entertainment can help. Waves Entertainment is your premier full-service management company with high-quality custom solutions for any size event. Whether you are planning a large festival or concert, a corporate meeting or wedding, Waves Entertainment will power your event to excellence. Our team of industry professionals work closely with your vision to ensure your audience hears every word, sees every detail, and remembers the experience. Our goal is to ensure your event is customized to fit your needs and provide professional-grade equipment to amplify your message. From live stage production and talent booking to vendor coordination, event staffing, and more, Waves Entertainment is your one-stop shop for the perfect event. Visit our website, wavesentertainment.com, or give us a call at 704-662-2435. That's 704-662-2435. Waves Entertainment, powering your event to excellence. So what do you think of this case so far? I think it's extremely fascinating, even though Robert Brasher's at this time did not have any DNA in the system. uh, I think it's very fascinating that they were able to use science to link the DNA to all of these different cases. Um, So my background is actually in biology. And I would say that my favorite classes that I took were molecular biology and forensics. So this stuff is just really cool. And it's amazing to see how far science has come over the years. I agree. Let's see where this story takes us. So in 2018, the year after police had identified the DNA match to the 1997 rape victim, investigators reached out to Parabon Nanolabs, a firm that investigates cold cases using genetic genealogy. This groundbreaking technology allows scientists to narrow down suspects using family members' DNA. In Joseph D'Angelo's case that we mentioned earlier, they had identified up to 20 people who had the same great-great-great-grandparents as the Golden State Killer. These people had all voluntarily submitted their DNA to the personal genomic website GEDmatch. From there, investigators constructed a family tree 
before establishing suspects and surreptitiously collected DNA samples from all of those suspects. They'd swabbed D'Angelo's car handle and collected DNA from a tissue taken from his curbside garbage can, both of which led to his arrest and subsequent conviction. While genetic detective C.C. Moore, also my hero, did not work on the Golden State Killer case, her experience in using genetic genealogy to solve cold cases is vast. If you check her out on Wikipedia, there's a list of literally dozens of cases that her work has solved from 2018 to this year alone. While I couldn't find exactly what techniques they used to identify Sherry and Megan's murderer, Cece Moore and Jed Match were able to determine that Robert Eugene Brashers had murdered Sherry and Megan Shearer and Genevieve Zitricki. So who is Robert Brashers? Brashers was born in March of 1958 in Newport News, Virginia. We don't know much about him until he was convicted for beating and shooting a woman in 1985 in Port St. Lucie, Florida. He was given a 12-year sentence but got out in three and a half years. In 1992, he was convicted of possessing a stolen firearm and vehicle in Cobb County, Georgia. So this man was tormenting people all over the South because a leopard doesn't change its spots, people. Exactly. So if we look at the timeline, we have the 1985 Port St. Lucie conviction, and he's out in 1989. In 1990, Brashers raped and killed Zitricki in her South Carolina apartment. Goes unsuspected. From there, it's the 1992 Georgia robbery, and he's released in February of 1997. In March, just weeks later, he rapes the 14-year-old girl in Memphis. And then a year later, on March 28, 1998, he murders Sherry Shearer and rapes and murders Megan Shearer before attacking the woman in Tennessee. But it's not over yet. Oh no, of course not. Brashers worked as a handyman. In April of 1998, he was arrested while breaking into the home of a single woman for whom he had previously done handiwork. Police said Brashers had cut the phone lines to the home and was armed. He also had a video camera and other tools with him. Brashers was soon taken into custody but later released. It all came to an end on January 13, 1999, when officers located a vehicle with a stolen tag in a parking lot of a Super 8 motel in Kennett, Missouri. Brashers was found hiding under a bed in one of the rooms, armed with a gun. After four hours of negotiations, Brashers let the other occupants of the room go before shooting himself. He died six days later of his self-inflicted gunshot wound. Especially at that time, it was hard for different police departments to realize they were working on the same case. His MO wasn't the same with every attack, and he committed crimes in multiple states. So until these DNA advancements, the cards were really stacked against investigators. And as Cece Moore and the police started to narrow in on the possibility that Brashers was the guy they were able to get DNA samples from family members. Deborah Brashers, his daughter, 
voluntarily submitted her own DNA to help. In a 2018 interview, Deborah said that while she initially hesitated to allow the police into her home, she offered to give them her DNA. Quote, they never even asked me. I asked them, I'm like, do you want one? They're like, yes, we have the kit and everything in the car. I'm like, I'll give you one right now, unquote. After her father's suicide in that motel room, Deborah's mother had maintained that the police were likely the ones that killed him. That's why she was initially distrustful. After family member DNA proved a match, authorities exhumed Brasher's body to confirm that he was indeed a serial rapist and murderer. It's hard for Deborah to accept that her father could be such a monster, but she said in that same interview, quote, There are people who live to kill, and then there are people who have double lives that kill every now and then, obviously. That was my father. He was a wolf in sheep's clothing, unquote. In the interview, Deborah describes a man who periodically lost his temper, taking it out on her mother or her half-sisters. One time, he, quote, whooped Deborah after she swallowed a penny. She struggles with the man that she knew at times to be loving and playful, and at others to lash out violently or in erratic ways. Following that attempted burglary arrest in 1998, a month after the Shearer double murder, Brashers began, quote, acting crazy, unquote. He'd run off, and Deborah and her mother would track him down, hiding him under a rug in the car. She goes on to say, quote, If there's somebody in your family that goes from being okay to acting really strange, think about that person, you know? Watch that person's moves. Watch how they act. Because you never know how a person really is, unquote. As for the Shearers, they've largely stayed out of the media. In a 2017 interview, before the discovery of the murderer's identity, Tony said he still lives in the same home where Megan and Sherry died. In that interview, he said, quote, You get to look at pictures sometimes, and it just brings back a lot of good memories. Everything's not bad. Life goes on, and we try to remember the good things, unquote. Wow. I sure hope criminals realize that their time is up. Technology is their enemy, cameras, cell phone tracking, DNA. But, you know, of course, narcissistic psychopaths think that they are smarter than everyone and can beat the system. Absolutely. And I'm hoping we can use this technology soon to serve justice for the victims of the Long Island serial killer. That would be so cool. And that's a wrap. Join us next week for another episode of Enmeshed. Thank you for listening. All of our sources are in today's show notes, as well as those important resources. You can find us at enmeshed underscore true crime podcast on Instagram or enmeshed true crime podcast on Facebook and let us know what you think. You can also get a behind the scenes look at the show and chat with us about any of the cases you've heard here or share case suggestions. 
please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to keep up with Enmeshed. And join us every Monday for fresh takes on stale relationships. Enmeshed is an Oh No production. Oh no!